0: Yes, we are back in with the latest edition of the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast off of a weekend that saw fight cards in London, in Phoenix, and in Las Vegas. I am merely the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is our insider, our content partner on BigFightWeekend.com and on the podcast. Dan Rayfield is back aboard. Uh, Dan, we saw a lot of boxing action. There's a bunch that's been going on this weekend overall, but a lot of boxing action, a lot to recap. How you feeling coming off the weekend here?
1: That was a good, that was maybe not the highest profile
0: weekend of fights, but in all uh, some interesting action and some important results for sure. Yeah, we got a lot to get to, a lot to go over. Uh, I should I should mention, I have rehabilitated the voice a little bit. At the time we're taping, I have just gotten back as my Tampa Bay Lightning. Dan rolls his eyes. He doesn't care about hockey. My Tampa okay. Bay Lightning are going for three Stanley Cups in a row. They've won game three at home on Sunday. My twins were there with me, Dan Rayfield, my 14-year-olds. My father was there with me. We had a great day. I have some voice left. Dan's going to carry the day. Dan's going to carry the day, as he <laughs> always does, on Fight Freaks Tonight. So we're amped about that. We're excited about that. Well, uh, hold on. To get to for sure, You're yeah. amped about that. Yes, yes. We in my household, I, I should say. You. Not you. You're not a hockey guy. If you were trying to torture Dan for information, you would put a hockey game on and oh. you would be able to get some secrets and some stuff out of him if that's the case. By the way, another friendly reminder, however you found us, social media link, bigfightweekend.com website. Follow and subscribe the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Feed of shows that includes this podcast, Fight Freaks Unite Recap. We're usually out by Monday, sometimes Sunday night. If you are following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you get this thing automatically. Dan does a phenomenal job of publicizing it with the links on his social and also on his newsletter, his Substack, etc. You don't need any of that, as I keep saying, if you're following or subscribing. You'll get it as soon as it's out, and as soon as it's available, you'll get a notification, a light, a ding on your phone or on your iPad. So we're good. So let's take off and go. Matchroom Boxing Fight Card was the first one up on Saturday. Light heavyweight contender battle in Britain that saw – Uh, Joshua Boaltzi defeat Craig Richards. That was not a surprise. We believe going in, Boaltzi would win. By the way, you pegged Boaltzi by decision before this fight. You even said so on our new uh, BetUS show that we now do, prognosticating and handicapping on BetUS TV and the BetUS social channels. You said Boaltzi by decision. All right, in the recap mode, Dan Rayfield, what did you see? What did you think? First of all, First and foremost, and this is always the first
1: thing in my mind because I try to advocate for the boxing fans of the world as much as possible, it was a hell of a good fight. If you watched that fight, it was worth your time. Those two guys, uh, both uh, Boatsy and uh, Craig Richards, uh, they came to fight. They laid it all on the line. They put on a hell of a show. You know, they were battling for, uh, as we talked about in the preview, uh, bragging rights for Britain. Certainly they're both from the same area, you know, same uh, city in London. Um, it was important because it put them in position. It was a WBA elimination fight. So they get one step closer, uh, not quite there yet, but closer to a mandatory uh, a title fight. So, it, you know, there was a lot at stake for the two guys and, and, and they showed it in the way that they fought. it was a very, very good fight. But as uh, you and I agreed on, and I think most people thought, uh, all due respect to Craig Richards, who put up a hell of a fight um, and, and his loss has grown in stature to Bivol based on what Bivol did to Canelo, but Boazzi younger, a little bit of a heavier hitter, a little stronger, a little quicker, just a little bit better in every phase of the game. And it showed, you know, he he took some shots, but he delivered more. And he won a uh, competitive but uh, clear decision uh, on the judges' scorecards 116 to 112, uh, 115, 113, and 115, 113. But uh, a very good fight. And uh, he moves on. And uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, the, the future is bright for him. But Craig Richards, uh, you know, I don't want to say he's now just a stepping stone. But, you know, all it's going to take is for him to have one more, you know, get a, get a good performance like he had against Buati, but get the W and he's right back in the picture.
0: In terms of Buatsi, he wanted to be spectacular. Who doesn't? He didn't get the knockout. You explained some of why Richards is tough. He lasted with Bavol for, uh, for 12 rounds. Uh, do, we, do we read anything into that or do we just say, hey, credit buatzi for getting the win, the decision win impressively? Yeah, I mean, he got the win. He did what he had to do. Winning is most important.
1: Second to most important in terms of the besides the victory is you know look good doing it and, and entertain and he, he got the win and he looked pretty good and he entertained so he checked the boxes uh, you know he's trained by uh, Virgil Hunter uh, out of uh, the Bay Area in California who uh you know is, is a brilliant sort of guy to break down the videos and you know they'll go back and watch and I'm sure knowing Virgil as long as I have you know he'll find things uh, that he thinks that 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 uh, that Buwazi can improve on they'll go to school and that in the gym. And, uh, you know, hopefully sometime, uh, you know, at least one more fight this year, maybe even two more, depending on, on, uh, on how, what the title picture looks like. But I would expect that knowing Matchroom's aggressiveness with some of their fighters and the, the number of events that they put on, that you'll see Boatsy hopefully take another step up uh, to an even bigger fight.
0: You've done this now, a lot with me. You knew right where I was going. That's where I was going next. So Bebol has the potential rematch with Canelo Alvarez. We don't know if that's going to happen. We talked previously on the recap podcast about Zerdo Ramirez in the in the u uh, s. the uh, the Mexican American who was victorious. He's now won several fights at light heavyweight. He's now considered, I guess, the W. Dan, sort it out for me. Is he the WBA yes. number one because of the eliminator? So Zerdo would be in front of Buatsi, is my point. One hundred percent.
1: Zerdo Ramirez before he fought the fight against, uh, you know, that he had the previous week. You know, one week earlier from Buatsi uh, when he fought Dominic Bosel. He went into that fight already being the mandatory. When he defeated Donetsky-Gonzalez in the previous fight, he became the mandatory, the mandatory contender. When he defeated Bosel, he retained that position. He could have lost that position had he been defeated in the fight. So he is now sitting as the next WBA mandatory whenever that gets called. Boazzi's victory moves him up one more spot in the rankings, but puts him ever closer to, I guess, what could be considered later on down the road, at some point, a final eliminator. But it was still a very critical victory, uh, official eliminator or not, because he got a win against uh, a good opponent who had fought for the world title, uh, the WBA title, as it turns out, in Craig Richards. And so, therefore, uh, he takes another step closer. But that was not to become the mandatory. I think a lot of boxing fans, they confuse these things. Just because you're the number one challenger in an organization – just because you win an eliminator does not necessarily mean you are the mandatory contender. You know, they have to say you're the mandatory or that it is a final eliminator. In the case of the Bivol fight, it was a final eliminator. In the case of the the uh, the Buassi, uh fight against Richard it was not a final eliminator. But, you know, all fights in essence are eliminators because if you lose, you're kind of screwed. But this had more of an official
0: capacity to it. But uh, hey, it was a good win for him and uh, he moves on. Just one more because I want to move on to the... Uh, top-ranked show, obviously, in Vegas, and then the uh, the Showtime PBC show in Phoenix. Anthony Yard is a name that comes up. For our fans that are in Britain and England, again, we're giving you a lot of love here at the beginning of the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast. Yard, I realize, is promoted by Frank Warren and Queensberry and their enemies with with uh, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. but is there any chance that a Buatzi yard comes together is that worthwhile because buatsi clearly isn't going to get a fight with zerto ramirez anytime soon he's not going to get a title shot do you buy any of that I, I, am i just being fantasy land matchmaker? i
1: think you're being a little bit in the fantasy land although that is you know the reality is that yard and buatsi probably are the two best light heavyweights in britain uh you know yard got a world title fight in the wbo uh, where he acquitted himself well but got stopped against Sergey Kovalev a couple of years ago. Uh, that would be a great fight. I mean, you know, Eddie Hearn made the point. I was watching the broadcast on the Zone, and he was making the point that, you know, if you can't get the world title fight, then make, you know, and it's just not there, not available for you, but you still want to fight. You still want to put asses in seats. You still want to make money. You still want to put on the biggest events you can. Nothing wrong with, the, you know, what they call in the UK a big domestic fight. And Anthony Yard against uh, Joshua Bozzi in great britain is a big domestic fight that would probably put a near sellout or sellout crowd in a place like the o2 arena uh but it's a you know for the reasons you mentioned it's almost impossible fight to make not to mention yard you know is also very high up in uh, i believe the wbo rankings which makes it which makes it even more complicated so i would not get my hopes up to it uh i would like i wouldn't mind seeing that fight absolutely that would be worthwhile to
0: watch but uh
1: you know it remains to be seen what either one of those guys are going to do with the next uh for their next
0: fight i so like to say, don't hold your breath. We don't want you to die. Let's move exactly. on on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. Again, the top-ranked show in Las Vegas. Let's begin on the undercard. Before the Jana Beck main event uh, for the WBO interim middleweight title, Jamel Herring was back out there against Jermaine Ortiz, an up-and-coming fighter uh you you wrote about this on the undercard Ortiz really I saw some of this Ortiz in control uh Herring beaten and then Herring did not hesitate after this fight to basically say I think that's it for me he did say that's it for me Dan what are your thoughts on that undercard fight
1: well I mean it was a big spot for him because you know Herring was coming off of a knockout loss to Shakur Stevenson where he lost his 130 pound title he went up to lightweight uh, didn't want a soft touch. They wanted a real fight for him. He got a real fight in Ortiz, who maybe not the most well known, but much younger and a uh, good record and you know hungry guy. And you know I'd seen him a few times. You know good style. And um, you know even though he wasn't that well known, I think we spoke about it on our our Bet US show uh, the 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 pick show where you know I thought if you're going to bet you know a fight where you know that type of situation, I thought that it would be a smart bet to bet on Ortiz based on what the odds were. And uh, it turned out that he won the fight, and it was really because the, you know, the fight was very even in the first half, but you know, the younger guy just wore Jamel Herring out in the second half of the fight. And he faded very badly over the last three rounds was soundly beaten, was a little bit busted up, very dejected afterwards. And in the ring in his interview on the broadcast said, well, you know, maybe that's it. And then after the fight was over, you know, I don't know, an hour later, whatever it was, he put out a couple of tweets basically saying, I'm retired. Thank you for everything. Uh, You know, my, I don't want to keep putting my family through this. And he called it a day. Now, Look, I've seen uh, many, many fighters do that after fights, talk about immediate retirement. And I try not to put too much stock in what's said on the night of the fight because there's so much emotion and, you know, so many mixed feelings. And, you know, you've just had this terrible dejection of losing uh, that sometimes it doesn't stick. And so if Jamel decided, you know, sometime to come back, it, I wouldn't hold it against him. And it, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. But he certainly sounded, um, you know, resolute in his, uh, his interview afterwards. And certainly if you read the words on the tweet, I, I listen, if he's retired, he had a good career. I always consider him to be an overachiever. He won a world title. He was a U.S. Olympian. He was a, uh, you know, not that this is boxing related, but he served our country, uh, yes. multiple tours of duty in Iraq in the war. One of the best guys, nicest guys you'll meet in the sport. I mean, every I don't know anybody that doesn't like Jamel Herring. He's a great guy. I've known him a long time. And if he's done, uh, and if he's not done, I certainly wish him the best. He's got a lovely family and, uh, you know, all, all, uh, all credit to his career. Uh, he got a lot done on, on, a, on a limited uh, relatively speaking, you know, he was, he was the guy with the, like the B talent that got, you know, the A out of him, as opposed yeah. to a guy that was the A talent that only got the B talent out of himself. He, he got as much out of what he
0: had as he could and more and more so clarify before we move back to Ortiz when Herring got that Shakur Stevenson fight and Stevenson beat him in the unification fight didn't Herring make probably in the neighborhood and you would know more of something like seven figures did he make close to that or something like that no, no that was more financially secure because he got a couple of bigger fights yeah I mean there, that was when he fought against Shakur Stevenson that was his mandatory
1: defense Shakur had the interim belt and Jamel had uh, the full belt uh, he did make a seven figure payday for that. And for his other fights, he made pretty good money in recent times. You know, those, those main events defending the title on HBO on, um, on ESPN main events uh, that he had over the last couple of years, they were, I don't know the exact purses, but they were had to be high six figures. Certainly when he went to uh, to the middle East and had the fight against Carl Frampton made very good money for that fight. So, you know, he didn't make crazy money where it's like, you know, he may never have to work again, but he, if he didn't spend recklessly, uh, he should have set himself and his family up very nicely with a very comfortable nest egg where if you live within your means, you know, you don't have to really work. And I suspect, by the way, knowing uh, the kind of outgoing personality and the type of person that Jamel is, that I, I suspect that after a break, he'll find a way to stay around in boxing in some capacity, not necessarily in the boxing ring. Um, he's very intelligent about the sport. I can see him uh, being involved in some perhaps commentating. There you I go. think he would make a great trainer if that was something you wanted to get involved in. So, you know, he, he, within the sport, I think he might have some options, uh, but for the time
0: being, you know, he had, a, he had a hell of a career for what, what it was and, you know, good luck to him. I think you make a great point. All right. Back to Jermaine Ortiz. What about his future and, and off of what you saw, just a quick thought on him and then we'll move on to the main event.
1: Listen, he did what he said he wanted to do. If you if you listen to his pre-fight comments to him, it was a big deal to go out there and, uh, and to take on a former world champion, a guy with some notoriety with a good name in the sport Get that win. Every fighter on the way up, uh, the, the first one of the first benchmark things in their career is to to put that name of either a, a well-known contender or a former champion on your record. It helps just catapult you to the next level. And uh, that's exactly what he did. He, he won. It was not uh, controversial. You know, he got the job done. And uh, he'll move on. I mean, he, he I don't know if I think he's automatically like a top contender in the lightweight division. He even talked about in his post fight interview, maybe uh, he's going to move up to 140 pounds. But there's a lot of action in the lightweight division. And based on that kind of victory and the entertainment value of the victory, I, I can't uh, I, I have to think that there'll be something out there for him. That's on a bigger level that that will help him, you know, that that's the kind of win that will push him forward. And, you know, it was it was a good victory for the kid.
0: Always love this man's insight, Dan Raphael, with me here as part of the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast. We're on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast feed, coming off the weekend main event for the top ranked show in Las Vegas at Resorts World on uh, ESPN Plus. Saw Janabek, Alim Kanuli I think I got that right, uh, win the WBO interim uh, title fight. Can I just say to you? I mean, I, I defer to you on these, but Danny Digham, uh, Dignum of uh, of England. My goodness, just did not look uh, like a top ten, much less a top five fighter. There, completely overwhelmed. How much do we credit janabek We thought he would win, Dan, in the preview mode, you and I. But that was almost like over before it began because the guy looked scared from England. It didn't it didn't look like he wanted to be there. That's easy for me to say. I don't get hit for a living. That's easy for me to say. But that. I mean, I know Janabek has got a lot of star potential, but the other guy did not look like he wanted to be there, and it was not pretty uh, from what I saw. What did you see?
1: I saw a guy just get completely erased. I mean, there's levels in the game is the point. Janabek is a star star amateur, top-level amateur Olympian for Kazakhstan, which has a good amateur program. So, you know, you can make an – I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but relatively speaking, you can make an Olympic team from certain countries a lot easier than other countries – because the talent level in your country is maybe not the greatest. It's a lot harder to make the Olympic team from a country like Kazakhstan than from some other countries. Uh, and he was that, that guy on, on the Kazakhstan Olympic team and he's looked tremendous as a professional, even though he's only had, you know, about a dozen fights. I've seen him fight many, many times since he turned pro. He's been on the fast track. It's been hard to get him opponents. Uh, you know, to, Dan, to to Dignam's credit, when offered this fight, because they reached him in the WBA rankings, he accepted. So i give him props for deciding to come over to this country. He's never fought outside of England until Saturday night. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, he just got ruined. I mean, it was a man and a boy. He got absolutely run over. You know, what's the old saying, TJ? Sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. And uh, he was the bug <laughs> on Saturday night. And, and he just got run over and it wasn't close. And, you know, he got dropped in the first round. And he had, you know, he was so seemingly petrified yeah. of what uh, Janabek was throwing that the feints that he, that he threw literally caused him to like trip over his own feet. Cause he was so scared and moving out of the way that he literally fell down on the canvas twice because he took the feint so hard. And then, you know, he got hit with some straight left hands that were just devastating. Uh, he was on the ropes and, you know, you don't want to be in that position. Even if you're not getting hit, you don't want to be on the ropes against a guy like Janabek and he just unloaded a series of, you know, about eight or 10 punches. And that, that uppercut just, you know, just swung his head back and forth. And he was it out. Was, you know, it was scary
0: because he slammed his head down on the mat. And you've seen this so many times turn into something serious. I was scared for a second. This could be something serious. The way he slammed his head down after getting hit with that uppercut. Thankfully, he was not seriously hurt. I looked into it a little and you have been too. Didn't look like there was any aftermath, any problems, but that, that was a scary final knockout blow from Jana. Oh yeah. That's yes. a knockout of
1: the year. That was a knockout of the year kind of knockout. The bottom line is this. Genevieve gets credit for looking like a monster. But when you're fighting that type of opponent, that's what you're supposed to do. So I give him credit for the win. I don't want to get too carried away about Genevieve because it was Danny Dignam. Let's not get stupid about it. But it's not like he let him hang around when you have an inferior opponent. And listen, this is why, and I've gotten ragged on for years because I always punished guys like Guillermo Rigindo. Not because they're not talented, because they would face a guy like a Dignam who had nothing for them. And they let him hang around and hang around nine rounds, 10 rounds, go the distance, never put forth a real effort to get the knockout. And you can do that without putting yourself in harm's way. You can go for a knockout or step forward a little bit and still be defensively responsible. And so I would get aggravated with certain types of styles of fighting. Rigondeaux as one example, Arislandi Lara as an example at times where they were so overmatched you know, that their opponent had so little to offer, but they let them hang around, hang around, and just never went for it and just drove you absolutely crazy. Janabek knew that he was in that same situation, but he didn't act like Reagan though he went for it and he absolutely blitzed the guy and never put himself in harm's way and stayed defensively responsible. So
0: I give him credit for that. If you've got that kind of opponent in front of you, get him out of there. Okay, so that leads to the next question. I, I mean, I know I agree completely with you. Thank you for saying it. We get we get so caught up in the hype. You're listening to the ESPN broadcast or you're reading social media as soon as the fight's over. Oh, he's the best fighter at 160 in the world or the most devastating. Can we settle down? Jamal Charlo can hit. You know this, Dan. I'm not preaching at you. Sure. Jamal Charlo can hit. Jaime Munguia can hit. Put either one of those guys in there with that guy and it's a real challenge for him. So let's just settle down on he's the toughest. Oh, I mean, Triple G's a challenge for him. Yes. Demetrius
1: Andre's a challenge for him. I mean, there's guys in that weight class who are, are, are at a world-class level uh, that are a different level by a lot than a Danny Dignam, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to rub it into Dignam because he got blitzed like that. Yeah. But again, let's face it, uh, that, that is a difference of a world-class fighter and a guy that's, you know, good, but nothing spectacular. He was, you know, I mean, he had never even been at the top level of the European fights. He was never like the European right. champion. I don't believe he was ever even the British champion, you know, didn't take those steps. So you know, again, taking a step back, it's exciting to see a guy like Janabek do that because I remember, and it's not quite the same because Janabek has been fighting here since he turned pro. He's been seen on a lot of top-ranked undercards, even if never in the main event. I must admit though, when you see him do that to that kind of opponent, you kind of I felt a little bit like I felt when I had saw Triple G in his first American fight against Greg Croxy years ago. Now, again, Triple G was an Olympic silver medalist. I had followed him. Uh, as a young professional fighting on you know in the early days of youtube but now every fight's on youtube basically way back when triple g was coming up his promoter Universum, was like like the first promoter that i know of anyway that would regularly take their undercard bouts from their televised fights in germany and take those undercards and put them on their youtube channel and so i and they weren't even live they'd be on like the, the fight's are on a friday night or saturday they would put them up on youtube like on a monday or a tuesday and i saw triple g you know, and a lot of those undercard fights, you know, through the first, you know, 15, 18 fights of his career on those types of cards. And I was friendly at the time with the, the, the late, great matchmaker, Heidi Taub Muhammad from Universal. We used to talk about him to me all the time. So it's not quite the same. But I had that same like emotional rush of like, oh, my God, this guy is an animal. When I saw what Janabek did to uh, Dignam, as I did to a slight degree, when I saw the way that uh, Triple G looked when he made his HBO main event debut and just ripped apart uh greg Proxa in that fight back years ago
0: i always love your insight and your perspective on these things give me 30 seconds real quick because i want to move on to the showtime pbc pbc main event which was david benavides scoring a big knockout Janabek next fighting what would you like to see what do you think happens he's got the interim wbo title what, what's on the horizon if anything if we know or we just got to play wait and see no
1: i mean he's he's gonna top rank well uh you know, because of the way he scored that knockout, I'd love to see him come back, you know, just in a few months, he didn't take any damage, you know, and the way you create buzz and excitement and get people pumped up is you score a knock like that, a knockout like that and you put on that type of performance is hopefully your people can get you right back in the ring uh, because you stay in front of the media, you stay in front of the fans, you stay in front of the TV folks and it just creates that uh, groundswell. Um, I don't think he'll be back that quickly. Obviously they got to deal with the political situation of what's going to happen with the title because, you know, I suspect that Demetrius Andrade is not coming back to 160 to defend against him. Plus, Demetrius is out for like at least about four months because of the shoulder injury. So at some point, uh, you got to believe that that Genovec's interim tag is going to be uh, taken away and he'll just be elevated to the WBO champion. Uh, but I suspect also that he probably will fight at least once before that occurs. So it'll just be up the to top rank to try to put him on uh, whatever card it is, whether it's a main event or on a, you know, as a co-feature on a big undercard. And uh, and try to find a you know a guy that might be able to stand in with him for a little bit. But uh, I know one thing: whatever he does next, I'm going to be either in the in the arena watching or in front of my TV watching because
0: he's a guy that has now become must see TV. Yeah, he's got a big punch. There's no doubt. Let's move on. We save the uh, Showtime PBC main event, the WBC. Uh, interim super middleweight title bout for David uh, Benavides against another David, David Lemieux. And I got to say up front here that we talked on that BetUS uh, preview show again, one more plug for us doing that on Fridays. We debuted it last week, that we were kind of questioning the under over at four and a half rounds. Uh, that Bet US had set for the line. I did check on Saturday, and it was remaining around four and a half. There must not have been a lot of money coming in on the over. We were both saying, "Look at the over for Benavides, man!" Once that fight began, kind of similar to Janibek, Benavides to me. Um, against Lemieux, the former IBF middleweight champion, Benavides in front of kind of the home region fans was inspired, looked bigger, and just overwhelmed him. That's what I saw. What did you see? It just it looked like a matter of time early yeah. on, didn't it? No, I saw the same thing. I mean, Benavides, as
1: I said in the show uh, before
0: the fight, why I
1: thought the over was a legit bet was because he's not a big uh, fast starter. That he, you know, he takes him usually a couple of rounds to get in the groove. Lemieux is usually showing a good chin. He only got knocked out. Uh, in the most recent time, it took Triple G in a title unification fight as a middleweight to knock him out. It took him eight rounds, so I figure if he can stand in there with a, a prime Triple G, the one the biggest puncher you'll ever see, uh, that, that going even just four or five rounds against Benavidez, not a fast starter, you know, was not a, a, a reach, but when he got hurt with the shot at the end of the first round, that really, frankly, the referee thought about stopping it. He only let it go, he said, in the post-fight, Harvey Dock, that is, who was an excellent referee, let the fight go because the bell rang, so he figured, you know, Uh, it's a championship level fight. It's a big main event. He wasn't like hurt to the point where he couldn't continue. you let him get the one minute rest period and see what he can do. One thing you got to say, about David Lemieux, even though ultimately he got destroyed game, 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 put up, uh, you know, all tip of the hat to David Lemieux for the heart, uh, you know, iron balls is what we say. (laughs) Just, you know, he was up there swinging for the fences. He was, you know, he he was going to go down swinging, as they say, you know, go out on his shield. Uh, if he's going to lose, he's going to give it every effort. And the one thing that he did have going for him is he is a good puncher. He just could never land the pinpoint shot on, on Benavides, who you said was much taller, uh, certainly looked much thicker. And it's um, it's a it's a it was an exciting one-sided fight because of the heart that uh, Lemieux showed. But by the time it was over, he was bleeding all over his face. He was taking heavy shots. Uh, you know, Benavides with the left hooks, with the uppercuts, and you know, almost knocked him out of the ring on the first knockdown. And then finally, uh, when he was just getting beat on, you know, David Lemieux's corner, you know, did what a corner is supposed to do. They protected their guy. They threw the towel in and saved him. And uh, you know, we'll see if he fights another day. But right. it was a, a devastating performance. But again, I, it's same with the with the Janet with the uh, win. You see this exciting sort of knockout, and people start losing their minds. Like, ah, oh, he's the greatest super middleweight of all time. He's going to beat everybody. Slower roll. It's David <laughs> Lemieux, an older guy coming up in weight, right. who you know who was you know way way smaller, who you know is an older fighter. You know, a 25-year-old David Benavides against a a long-in-the-two, 33-year-old in uh, David Lemieux. So, again, I like to temper excitement. Benavides is an outstanding fighter. I love to watch this guy fight. He's a he's a nice guy outside the ring, but I'm not going to get hyped. His resume is still extremely soft. You know, David Lemieux, I still don't even consider his best win. It's a good win, but besides that, who has he defeated? He defeated, you know, an, uh, an, what, an Anthony Durrell, I guess, right. would be the – the biggest name on his record, which is not a bad win by any stretch, but it's not exactly uh, put you on the pound for pound list. So what I'd like to see is for him to take this nice victory and come back in another exciting fight later in the year. And I'd like to see him get one of the top names. I'd like to see him fight. a If, if Charlotte wants to come up from middleweight, I'd like to see him fight a Caleb plan. They've trash talked each other. Uh, you know, Caleb being a former champion coming off the loss to Canelo Alvarez. Uh, there are fights out there for him. But uh, I'm not ready to anoint him. I still would favor Canelo Alvarez at super middleweight over David Benavides. And maybe that fight will happen because now he's the WBC's interim champion. At some point, you got to figure he'll become the mandatory. You know, Canelo will play out his situation for the fall, be it against Vivo in a rematch or the third fight with Golovkin. But once that's taken care of, you know, he's going to be looking for other guys to fight. And, and David Benavides is going to be a prime guy. I mean, Mexican versus Mexican American. Uh, two good sluggers, two good exciting guys. I mean, it's a great promotion in my opinion. And listen, TJ, before he took the Bevel deal with Eddie Hearn, that call for B-Vol and Triple G. Remember, he was offered uh, Benavides and Charlo. I, I my personal opinion was I preferred the the uh, combination of Charlo and Benavides because I yeah. thought that, to me, as a as a fan, just from an excitement point of view, the best fight of all the four fights that were on the table: Charlo, Benavides, uh, Triple G, three, and B-Vol, Personally, I like the Benavides to fight the best as far as I was concerned. So I'd love to see that.
0: Interesting. And so uh, I was going to throw one more name at you as we conclude things here. Caleb Plant, who's a PBC Premier Boxing Champions fighter, lost to Canelo, lost his IBF belt. Um, I don't know that they would do this, but I would be intrigued by Benavides, Caleb Plant at some point, particularly as you laid out. He's not going to get Canelo Alvarez anytime in the next eight to 12 months, probably. I think that
1: the Caleb Plant fight's the obvious fight. I actually think there's a good chance that that's the fight we may see at the end of the year. I I think that's a very strong possibility. Okay, good. Because I know Caleb Plant, he wants to come back from the Canelo loss, but he's not looking to come back against a nobody if you know the type of competitor that uh, Caleb Plant is who also wants to make a good paycheck. And the way you make a good paycheck generally is you fight a a good opponent. So they can both get paid if they fight each other. Uh, It'll be a very, uh, I think the fans would really like to see that fight because look, I I know Caleb lost to, uh, to Canelo, but it wasn't like he disgraced himself or didn't turn up. I mean, he, he fought a hard fight and he lost. He got stopped, but that's life. Uh, no reason why he doesn't come back and fight David Benavidez. That's, that's a, a very makeable fight. And the key is, if you listen to the two fighters, they both say they want to fight each other. And I'm going to tell you, in my experience, the single most important thing in making a big match is that the two fighters tell their people, I want to fight that guy. If they both tell their people they want to fight a certain guy, there's usually a way for the fight to get done. The fact that they're both with Heyman and PBC, both fighting on the same broadcaster, um, you know, it's 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 a very logical and it's a really good fight for the fall, particularly because, as you mentioned, unless something wacky happens, there's no chance that Benavides is getting Canelo this year. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, and if you want to stay active and fight bigger fights, I don't think, honestly, I'll put it like this, TJ, other than Canelo against whoever, you know, if you take Canelo out of the equation, there's probably not a more significant fight or a, a a bigger fight that can get the hype and the attention of the of boxing fans in that weight class than Benavides against Caleb Plant, in my opinion.
0: The only even only more name, so than if Charlo moves up. The only other name that's out there, Edgar Berlanga, is obviously a super middleweight, but he's in the top rank realm. It's that doesn't even matter because Berlanga
1: yeah. is still a prospect. He's yeah. not even remotely ready for that kind of fight. And the Berlanga, you know, he's exciting and all that, but. You know, he, he's had an he injury, Give doesn't look year. that good in his last couple of fights. He's got a fight scheduled for June. You know, uh, he he's still a little bit behind in terms of where he is. So while that might sell tickets because he's a draw in New York, as he has proven in his last fight, uh, that's not happening. Forget about that. No chance. That's
0: why I love this man's insight. And by the way, one more commentary. That was a rocking crowd at, at oh, yeah. the uh, Gila Arena in, uh, in Glendale, uh, the arena right next to where the Phoenix, uh, the Arizona Cardinals play. Uh, that was rocking. Uh, we saw a rocking environment at the O2 Arena for the Boatsy-Richards fight. And in recent fights, I mean, obviously, the, the Canelo b had the atmosphere. Errol Spence and Ugas had over 37,000 tickets sold. We saw those official numbers at at Stadium. The the Fury, uh, you know all this, Dan. The Fury, Dillian White had, uh, you know, 94,000. The sport is healthy right now with people showing up and live gates, and, and that was... Uh, that was eye-opening that Benavidez was a draw on Saturday night with a lot of fans in the building for that showtime. One more Look, time. They did a pretty good out. job
1: promoting the fight. Yeah. He's from the area. He's a, he's a Mexican American. So it, obviously that's a heavily Mexican uh, area in this country. He is in a very exciting style. If you go to a David Benavidez fight, you're going to most likely see some kind of action, maybe probably a knockout and uh, you know, he's a very appealing personality. He's a very like down to earth kind of guy. If you just sit in and talk to David Benavides so I think he appeals to the to the every man and woman if you will uh no david has a chance uh, that to be a become a, a serious draw that was a good uh gate like you said the fight before that when he when he fought in in uh in a downtown phoenix you know he had a good a good crowd for that also and one thing you have to remember about david benavides he's still only 25 years old this guy has feels like he's been around forever because he turned pro when he was like you know 17 18 years old but he still has I don't even think he's necessarily in his prime just yet. He's got, should have several good years left at this level to make big fights. And what I love about Benavides, he's not saying, I want to go to light heavyweight. He's not saying, I'm going to move down the middle. He's like, bring me your best at 168 and I'll kick their ass and knock them out. He's looking to dominate the 168 weight class. He can do that with a lot of interesting fights. And then of course, at the end of the rainbow, I guess we hope he see someday a fight with Canelo Alvarez.
0: Just like this man dominates the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast, Dan Rayfield would come to the end once again always love the insight again we encourage them to read you as part of our site bigfightweekend.com but also your sub stack the fight freaks unite sub stack for all the great content and again the recap podcast here usually out by monday morning monday midday sometimes out on sunday night uh, as well always love the insight we put this to bed we look ahead to gervonta davis pay-per-view later in the week and much more for later cambosis haney coming in a couple of weeks but we did well in another recap my friend we're good We're good. Always love it. Thank you, Dan. Be well. And we thank you for finding us, however you did so. Social media link or through the Big Fight Weekend website. Follow and subscribe here wherever you get your podcast To the Fight Freaks Unite Recap. I'm TJ Reese for Dan Rayfield. Thank you for hanging with us as we recap the fights. Bye.